Hey, Cornerstone. Man, it's good to see you. Fun to be back. Wow. So, I, man, I just got to... I think most of you know I had uh, went over. Did we did a trip? Took some Cornerstone nights uh, to Israel. It was amazing. It was just a fun, fun, fun trip. And it, guys, if if you've never gone there, dodging the machine guns, it was good. It was just a fun time. No, here's here's what I would say to you. We it was just a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable time. And and if you've never experienced going to Israel, then here's the best way I can describe it. It's like it takes the Bible from black and white and turns it into color. And, and somewhere in your lifetime, you're going to want to have that experience. I think we're going to go back sometime uh, in the future. If you've, if you've ever thought about it, you might want to sign up, be part of that trip with us. Hey, uh, the other part is I think most of you know that last week I was sick and uh, Pastor Tim Beal stepped in, uh, filled in for me. Guys, I don't know if you know how lucky we are as a church to have guys like Tim Beal here. I mean, that's just... Guys, yeah. That, that's just remarkable. And, and if you've never done a lot of public speaking, the idea that someone calls you up the day before and says, hey, pull a rabbit out of your hat, man. Just come with something that we all need to hear and to do it on the caliber and the ability that Tim did. I mean, that was just remarkable. And here's what I'm just asking you to do. If you see that guy walking around here somewhere, just pat him on the back and just say, man, I am so glad that you're here and you're part of us and you're part of Cornerstone because we are blessed to have that guy around here. We really, really are. Um, we're in a series that we called Sunday School. How many of you grew up going to Sunday School? Okay, so you're all Protestants. And uh, uh, if, if you were if you were Catholic, you went to catechism, right? Uh, but here, here's the deal. Uh, I grew up going to Sunday School. And man, I'm just telling you, you'd go into this little uh, Sunday School room and it always stank. Why do Sunday School rooms always stink? You know? Uh, it's probably all the kids peeing on the carpet. But anyway, yeah, I just... You'd go in, it'd always spill something, and there'd be this really, 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 really old lady up there doing flannel graph uh, uh, on the thing. And, and if you don't know what flannel graph is, guys, you have missed. Flannel graph is, uh, they would take a picture of Jesus uh, or one of the disciples, and then they'd put like fuzzy stuff on the back. And then you could put it on a board that was covered with flannel. And so then they would do that so that you had visual aids while they were teaching you about Jesus. And I can remember sitting there as a kid just going... Dude, I mean, wait a minute, you know, he's already left, and couldn't his leg, like, move a little bit or something? I mean, that would just be like flannel graph on steroids. All of you young people in here who actually have moving pictures, you are sissies, I'm telling you, because real Bible students, the characters don't move, they're stiff. But here's the deal, if you, if, if you never miss this, you'd sit in that class and, and you would just believe that your Sunday school teacher knew everything about the Bible and about the world and you'd sit there just transfixed and listening. We wanted to do a series about the teachings of Jesus and we thought to ourselves, dude, wouldn't that be like the best Sunday school lesson ever? I mean, if you could sit at the feet of Jesus and have God explain to you life, That'd be the best Sunday school class ever. And so that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is we've just been taking some of those moments when Jesus sat down with his disciples, possibly pulled out a flannel graph because they've been around that long, and uh, explained to them life. And so we've been peeking into those moments and saying, hey, what if we went to Sunday school with Jesus? And I've been doing, hey, today we're going to talk about this idea of judging. Uh, when is it right to judge? When is it wrong to judge? Is it ever right to judge? Is it always wrong? What, what, what's the whole deal on judging? How many people in the room, you would say, hey, you know what? There's been a moment in my life 
where I believe I was unfairly or harshly judged. Okay, did you go to junior high? Because I'm just telling you. How many even in the room would say, you know, I've kind of come to this place in my life where I'm thinking, I, I just try never to judge other people. I've just decided that judging as a general rule is wrong. And so I just avoid judging at just about every cause. And I, I just try never to judge. How many people say they're in that boat? How many people say, hey, I think in order to navigate life, you've got to judge sometimes. Sometimes you've got to make a decision. You've got to have some discernment. So I think you have to judge. So what do you do with the verse where Jesus said, don't judge? <laughs> Ever had this moment? Uh, ever had a moment when uh, you're talking to someone, you're going, man, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I'm telling you this because I love you. I tell you this because I care. But the decisions you're making, the people you're hanging out with, the lifestyle that you're, I'm just telling you, it's not going to get you where you want it to get you. It, it, it's obvious that it's got pain at the other end. And in the midst of that conversation, they stopped you in your tracks and they said to you, don't judge me. Is that what Jesus meant when he taught on judging? When he said, do not judge? That he was trying to give a get-out-of-jail-free card for anybody to do anything they want to do and to misbehave as bad as they wanted to, and the minute somebody called them on it, they could just say, hey, don't judge me? Is that what judging's about? You and I live in a culture right now where the church is taking body blows because the perception of the church is that we're judgmental. And that we've thrown people away and we've been overly harsh. So here's the isn't the answer, this is a tricky subject. This is a hard conversation to land. And here's what you need to hear. That if we don't land this well, we have the ability or capacity on one side to turn tons and tons and tons of people off from the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. Or on the other side, we have the capacity to allow people to live lives of unbelievable recklessness and ruin and never intervene. And so you and I better figure out how to navigate this thing called judgment. And so Jesus sits down and holds Sunday school and helps us with the topic. So grab your Bibles with me real quick. It's Matthew chapter 7. If you're not real familiar with your Bible, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 is the beginning of what we call the New Testament. The beginning of four books that uh, chronicle the life and the teachings of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And we're just going to unpack this. We're just going to let Jesus hold class right now with us and uh, see what he teaches. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Here's how he opens. Ready? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Look, look, look. I know on first pass, I know on first reading that you you go, well, I mean, Jesus just said it right there. He said, right? He said, don't ever judge. Don't on any occasion, at any time, in any moment, don't ever, 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 ever judge. Don't judge. I don't think that's what he's saying. Let me tell you why I don't think that's what he's saying. In the same Bible lesson, in just a couple verses, he's going to encourage you and me to judge. He's going to turn right around and say, whenever this happens, you need to use judgment about this. Let's read it again. Do not judge or you will be judged in the same way that you judge others. Or he will be judged you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful 
when you get into this thing of judging. Because it's possible to make a mess of this. It's possible to begin to throw people away. It's possible to destroy and ruin a bunch of lives. And here's the deal. The way that you judge, the harshness, the, the criticism, the, 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 the willingness to discard, that if you go after judging that way, then don't be surprised if that's how everybody in turn then responds in judging you in your life. So be really, really careful when you sit in the seat of judgment. But I don't think he's saying don't judge. I think he's saying there's types of judgment. There's, there's ways of judging that a Christian should never judge somebody else. Let me just toss out two for you. I don't believe that you and I are to ever judge the hearts of other people. We're never to say, you know what? The only reason they're doing that is because they're selfish. You know why they're doing it? They're doing that because they're jealous. You know why they're doing it? They're just doing that out of anger. And that you and I would come to a conclusion about their motives. We would decide we understand their hearts. And the second place that you and I are never to judge is somebody else's worth, somebody else's value. That you and I would say, look, I'm just telling you, they're a lost cause. I'm just telling you, they, they, they keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm, and I'm just telling you, I'm done with them. And that you and I would say, they're just not worth the effort. Someone's heart, someone's value. So I, uh, I found a picture on the internet um, the other day. So this is the picture. And, uh, and just in case you can't uh, figure it out, uh, because I know it's a little dark, it's a trash can, it's a trash dumpster, and in the top of the trash dumpster is a cross. How many would say, man, I, that bothers me? That, that just, that just, just to see that bothers me. It just, it feels disrespectful, doesn't it? And it just feel, I mean, what were they thinking when they did that? What if, what if I told you that that trash dumpster was actually at a church? Does that bother you even more? I mean, is there a party that goes, man, I mean, what were they thinking? And I mean, what does that say about that church? And do they love the cross? And how do they feel about Jesus? And do they even, can I, can I tell you that as it went up on the internet, uh, there was a caption where it said, you know, does this bother anybody else? And then you had all these people just weighing in and saying, wow, that's what's wrong with the church in America today. I mean, people, people like that. What if I told you that's a picture of a dumpster behind our church? How, how, how does it make you feel that people wait in on the internet and said, you don't love Jesus because you threw a car on the cross in the trash can? And I mean, surely you don't care about the gospel and surely you don't have any regard for God? How does it feel that people decided your heart based on a picture on the internet? And guys, you know what happened? Teenagers. Well, that's the answer for everything, right? Teenagers. <laughs> Teenagers. Teenagers cleaning out a closet here at the church took, you know, stuff to the dumpster and just didn't think, right? I mean, they just didn't think. It just never occurred to them. They never thought, hey, that could look bad. And so someone driving through our parking lot saw that, posted it on the internet, made decisions about your heart and how much you love Jesus. That's why Jesus says, you never, never, never judge the heart because you don't know the heart. There's only one person who knows the heart and that's God. 
And every time you and I decide we know why they did it or what they were thinking or how dark they were, you and I are probably wrong. So you don't judge the heart. And you don't judge value. You, you don't say, hey, look, here's the deal. That person, that person's just a lost cause. That, that person's just not worth the effort anymore. And I know, look, 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 I know this is kind of hard because every one of us has an Uncle Sid. We do. Every one of us has somebody in our family or a relative or a friend or a neighbor. We all have an Uncle Sid. And, and, and here's, here's what Uncle Sid's like. Uncle Sid always borrows money and never pays it back. Uh, uh, Uncle Sid makes the same mistake over and over and over again and then wants somebody else to pay for it, someone else to bail him out every time. Uncle Sid is rude and never thankful for anything you do. And there just comes a moment, right? There comes a moment you just go, I don't even think I can afford Uncle Sid. And you just, you just go, look, I, I'm just done. I'm just done with Uncle Sid. I'm done with that friend. I'm done with that neighbor. I'm done with that coworker. They're just not worth the effort anymore. And Jesus says you can never do that. Because in the moment you're doing that, you're putting a price tag on them. And you're saying the effort is more than they're worth. And here's what you need to know the heart of Jesus. That if uncle said was the only person who would have ever believed on Jesus Christ, Jesus would have still gone to the cross for Uncle Sid, for your neighbor, for your co-worker, for that teenager, whoever it is that just bothers you to death. If they were the only person who would ever become a Christian, Jesus would have died for them by themselves, which means their value, because Jesus placed the value on them, their value is the cost of the cross. And you and I don't have the right to change the price tag. Ever. Ever. And when we do, it's a judgment of rejection. Which I think is the thing that has our culture frustrated with the church. It has it frustrated with Christians. Because all too often we've decided we know what's going on in people's hearts or we've said that person's not worth our time. And then Jesus goes on. Verse number three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own? In some versions say, why do you, why do you look at the splinter that's in your brother's eye and you don't see the beam that's in your own eye? <clears throat> How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck or the splinter out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see exact more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And no, no, no. we read that and you go, I, I've never done that. I've never done that. I don't do that. So I'm good on that one. Yes, you have. Because here's what Jesus is talking about. You and I have this really warped perception of our own sin. See, what we do is we go, look, 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 look. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not doing everything I to do. Matter of fact, I've got two or three places that right now, if I was being completely transparent and honest about it, I am in knowing disobedience to Jesus Christ. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just telling you, I'm not as bad as my neighbor, my coworker is way worse. Because I'm just telling you, it, it, let's, let's just say this room is my entire life. I've got like one or two or three tiny little sins. My coworker, ooh, I mean, they just, they've got sins. They got, they got sins. I got a bunch of sins. I mean, a bunch of sins. And I just got like one or two or three little sins. And Jesus says, 
You're the plank guy. You're the beam gal. Because, 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 here's what you and I don't understand about sin. When you and I knowingly allow sin to stay in our life, it's not like that sin sits out on the edges and that it's just this tiny little thing that doesn't affect the greater whole and that for the most part goes unnoticed. It's not how sin works. Jesus says, hey, when you have sin in your life, when you've got an area of disobedience, that thing comes front and center because what you're saying in that moment is that sin's more important to me than Jesus. And so he says, when you hold a sin, when you have an area of disobedience, you might as well take that what you thought was a tiny little sin, that splinter of a sin, and hold it right up to your eye. Because in that moment, it becomes a beam. And every perception, every idea, every decision you make is occluded by the sin you've held in your heart. And you've got a beam in your eye, and you can't even see clearly. How dare you in that moment go to your brother and say, let me help you with yours. I know, some of you are going, well, that's why I never help anybody. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Is that really a good answer? How much better for you and I to go, I get it. I get as long as I live this area of my life in disobedience, I get as long as I hold on to this thing, I get that I'm never going to be able to be used by God. People around me are going to suffer because I can't help their lives. Wouldn't it just be better to get done with it? To get to get what Jesus said, the splinter out of your, the beam out of your own eye, so that you can actually be helpful to somebody else. Then back to the passage. Verse 6. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet. Because see, pigs have no respect for pearls. And turn and tear you to pieces. What's the sacred? What's the pearls that are being tossed in front of pigs? Remember, he's talking about judgment. people. He's saying, if you're not really, really careful, you'll start judging the hearts and the intents of people. You'll start judging the motives of people. You'll start judging the values of people. And pretty soon you'll be throwing people away. You'll be saying, no, 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 no. I don't need them in my life. I don't want them. And you'll throw people away and you will take the most precious thing in this world and you'll throw it to the pigs. He says, be careful, be careful. Years ago, we had a little gal who uh, started coming to our church. Her name was Cat, and uh, Cat Cat was covered with tattoos. I mean, just head to toe. Ta- I mean, tattoos everywhere. And uh, a bunch of the tattoos that Cat uh, had put on her uh, were tattoos that came out of the pain of her life before she discovered Jesus. So there was like things stabbing things, and there were things bleeding on things. I mean, it, it was there was a lot of darkness there. And let me just say this out loud. Tattoos are not sinful, guys. They may be stupid, but they're not sinful. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just saying, okay? That, that really pretty butterfly on your shoulder, when you get older, is going to look like a baby puked on you. If, if you're okay with that, then it's okay, all right? So, but, so here's Cat 
And she's, you know, she's just covered with tattoos. And then she was doing some of the body modification stuff that's going on. And she gets here, and you just need to know, it was it, so much of it just spoke of the pain of her life pre-Jesus. That's why it was so dark. I mean, it was dark stuff. And so she comes here to Cornerstone, and she figures out Jesus. Someone sits down with her, tells her the incredible story. She asks Jesus in her heart, and now she's changed. I mean, she's just heading in a whole different direction, and she's starting to get on fire for God and vibrant in her Christian life, and she volunteers in the high school group. Anybody want to guess? Yeah, we had a parent. We had someone who was in leadership in the church, and they just said, there's no way Kat can serve in with the high school. I mean, have you seen what Kat looks like? I mean, have you seen how dark some of those tattoos are? How's that going to influence our kids? And so then they went out and began to campaign other parents of high school kids and just said, we just need to have, we just need to have a campaign. We need to have a special meeting and just tell the leadership of the church, this girl can't serve possibly in the high school group. I tried to say back, I just say, hey, look, look, guys, I get it, I get it, I get it. I get that the tattoos are dark, and I get that your decision as a parent is your preferences, that your kids wouldn't have tattoos, but I just don't think that's what's at stake here. I think, I think there's an incredible testimony. I think here's a girl whose inside has been marvelously changed, who has the ability to stand in front of kids and go, look, this, this is the darkness of my pre-Jesus existence, and I'm just telling you how much he's changed me. And we're going to miss that opportunity with our kids. We're going to miss that moment for her to do that. Can I tell you that it wasn't enough? And that the chirping stayed? And, and finally, Kat decided if I can't do anything about my tattoos. I mean, if I'm not good enough now, I'll never be good enough because I'll always have them with me. And she walked away from the church. I think it's one of the moments that we cast our pearls in front of the swine. It's probably one of the poorest lived moments of our church. And one there's a pastor that fills me with the deepest regret. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder Jesus said, be careful when you get into this judging stuff. Because you may just take what is really, really precious and throw it to the pigs. And right about now, some of us are going, I will never judge again. Never. I'm just not going to do it. No pearls to the swine for me. Right? And yet here's the thing that's crazy. You ready for this? Jesus is going to turn right around and tell you and I to start judging. Is that wild? He just told us how not to judge. He just said, whoa, 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 be careful about this. And then he's going to encourage us to be highly discriminative, to be Great at evaluating, and he's going to tell us to start judging. Here we go. Same passage, Matthew chapter 7. Jump down a couple verses. Here's what Jesus says. Watch out. It's chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look really, really good. They look like they're there to help and they're gentle. But in in wordly, they are actually ferocious wolves. By their fruits... By their behaviors, by what they do, uh, you're going to recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. 
A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then right away, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not talking about judging normal people. That's talking about these guys were false teachers. Of course they deserved to be judged. They were evil men doing evil things and causing all sorts of ruin. So of course they were judged. Do you realize what we just did? We just decided we knew the intents of their heart. And we just decided they were worth throwing away. And believe it or not, even these false teachers Jesus died on the cross for. And they're to be treated exactly the way we treat everybody else. And Jesus said, you need to be a fruit inspector. You, it's okay. You don't judge the heart of somebody. You don't judge the value of somebody. But it's okay to look at the actions. It's okay to look at the fruit that their life is producing and saying, hey, you know what? That's not healthy fruit. That's not good fruit. And you keep producing that. You keep making that decision. You keep heading in that direction. And you're going to end up with disappointment and heartache and ruin. It's bad fruit. And you and I, you ready for this, are actually commanded to be fruit inspectors. To check out the actions. Matter of fact, here's something. Let me go a step further. This is going to blow some of your minds. You cannot fulfill the responsibilities that Jesus Christ has given you and not be a fruit inspector. You can't. Let me see if I can help you with that. Parents, I want you to imagine for just a minute that your son comes to you and you're having a conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, you say to them, look, I'm really, really concerned, son. You're hanging out with like criminal types. I mean, you're hanging out with people who have already been in jail and are headed to jail. I, I'm watching you uh, experiment with, you know, gateway type drugs in your life. You're messing around with your girlfriend and doing things that you have no business as a single young man doing with your girlfriend. And I know that you're eight years old and, <laughs> and you believe you're all grown up, but this is going to take you the wrong direction. And in that moment, your eight year old son turns to you and says, don't judge me. Show me the parent in here that's going to go, oh, you're right, I'm going to stop. Because, you know, guys, 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 the very responsibility of a parent is to judge our kids. Like every three seconds, judge our kids. That's what you do to be a good parent. And you're supposed to be a fruit inspector. You're supposed to look at actions and say, hey, keep playing in the street and you're going to be squashed. Right, Miss? That's what you do. That's what you do. And I'm just going to say to you guys, 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 you can't be a good parent and not be a fruit inspector. It's impossible. You can't be a good friend and not be a fruit inspector. What does scripture say about good friends? It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman sharpens another. Which by its very indication says, we're having conversations. I'm saying to you things you don't want to hear me say to you. Because I took a look at what you're doing and how you're behaving and how you're treating others. And I said to you in that moment, hey, that's just probably not good. Look, 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 look. I know, I know, I know. I know your wife can nag. I know, I know, I know, I know. 
ladies, I know you've never nabbed, but that's what this is man talk, right? So I, I know, I know, I know. But if you keep treating your wife that way, it turns out bad. Look, 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 look. I know, I know, I know you're just experimenting with drugs and alcohol. I know. I'm just telling you, if you're not careful, this goes to a dark place. There's so little potential benefit on the other end of this. And I'm your friend and I care enough about you to call you out on it. You can't possibly be a good friend. If you're not evaluating the life of your friend. And I'm just going to say to you, look, 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 look. If you don't have any friends in your life who are inspecting your fruit and are calling you out when your fruit has worms in it, you don't have any friends. You've got acquaintances. If you aren't looking into the lives of the people that you love and that God has placed in your life. And when you see them making decisions that aren't going to be helpful, that are going to take them to places of real hurt and harm, and you don't have the courage to say to them, look, I'm coming to you not because I'm trying to be a jerk and not because I'm trying to throw you away. I'm coming to you because I love you. And I'm just telling you, this is not a good decision for you. And if you aren't having that conversation, you're not a friend. You and I cannot possibly fulfill our responsibilities before God if we don't inspect fruit. Guys, it's one of the reasons you've got to live in community in the church. And you can't just be a Sunday only, let's come sit in the chair type Christian. Because I guarantee you, if you do, you're not living in accountability. And you have nobody inspecting your fruit. That's why you've got to be in small groups and small churches and a men's ministry or women's or the, You've got to be somewhere. Where somebody can sniff and go, boy, that fruit stinks. And I love you enough that even if you pull the don't judge me card, I'm going to finish this talk. Maybe, maybe, maybe this helps. Maybe, maybe this will get us there. I think this perception we have of fruit inspecting is kind of wacky because we got this like 21st century view of fruit inspecting. And so our idea, kind of the concept we have is that you fruit inspect at the store, right? I mean, you go to the store and, and you kind of start pulling some stuff out and you take a look at it and you go, eh, it's got a bruise. Wormhole. Yeah. All right. All right. Nah. And our version of fruit inspecting is, is that we're, we're inspecting in order to either keep or throw away. Which is exactly the opposite, isn't it? Of what Jesus said we were supposed to do. When Jesus teaches this Sunday school lesson, he's teaching farmers. Which means they heard this lesson in a totally different way than you and I just heard it. Because when Jesus said to them, go inspect the fruit, guess how often farmers inspect the fruit? Every day. See, they're out there with, with their crops and they're looking to see, hey, is, are things maturing like they ought to mature? And, and, and are, are things growing at the rate that they ought to grow? And do things look healthy or do I see insects infesting the crop? And when a fruit inspector sees a problem, when the farmer looks and says, oh my goodness, uh, there's, there's insects in with my fruit. Immediately, that farmer is going to go get insecticide and bring it back to save the fruit. 
If he looks and says, hey, you know what? The sun is just like burning up. Then he's going to find some way to put a tarp over the top. The farmer is, and upon fruit inspecting, is going to find a way to nurture and help the fruit. And what Jesus was saying to you and me is that when we look into the lives of the people we love, we look into the lives of the people that God has placed in our life, and we see a problem, sure, there's a conversation, but the conversation comes from a place of love that says, I'm here to minister to you. Because true fruit inspection turns every one of us into ministers. It immediately says, I see something unhealthy, I see something going wrong, but I'm here to help. Which then brings you and I to a moment. Have we been judging right? Or have we been judging in a form that throws away, discards other people? Because we're pretty sure we know what their motives were. We've decided that we've put enough effort in and they're just not worth any more effort and we walked away. And I'm just telling you, that's exactly what the world looks at the church and gets upset with us about. Because even though they've never heard the teaching of Jesus, they know that can't possibly be the heart of Jesus. And I'm just going to say to you that if, if right now as we're talking and someone comes to your heart and you go, I threw them away. I decided I knew why they were doing what they were doing and I just wrote them off. Then you need to spend some time with the Lord and say, God, you've got to change my heart. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing a crop failure right now. There are some of us in the room, it's completely the other. We've seen somebody in our life, somebody in proximity, making horrible decisions. And we've been silent. See, we've been so intimidated and we just thought, boy, if I say anything, they're going to say, hey, you're judging me. So we sat there and we watched as the fruit rotted on the tree and we sat in silence. And I'm just saying, guys, it's, Time to go tend the tree. It's time to go and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to throw you away. I'm not here to... I'm just telling you there's worms. I'm just telling you that by now you should, you should be so much further than you are. And I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to fertilize and I'm here to water. And I'm here to do this with you. Because great fruit inspecting turns us into ministers. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment and God, we get it. We get that this is a big deal, that, that, that this is a landmine of a topic. And it, if we get this wrong, it either just absolutely discourages people from the cross. People, people see the church as this room of self-righteous condemning people. Or we leave people where they are. We leave people struggling with problems and struggling in sin. And we didn't have the courage. We didn't have the compassion to call them out. So God, teach us. Teach us to be fruit inspectors. The way, Jesus, that you inspected fruit. Help us to have the courage to say what is wrong is wrong. And the compassion to change it. And this we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.